Highly touted, Bantamweight prospect, Arion Zekthi. What's going on, man? How has life been the past couple of months? Highly touted. I like that. Thank you. Uh, I mean, life, <laughs> it's it's existing. You know, it's uh, stuck in the house, working from home. The same, I think, with everybody else. Uh, recently, the gyms just started opening up and everything for training, so that's been good. But uh, I think we're slowly just getting back into life as we knew it. Uh, but no, man, the last three months, I wish I could sit there and tell you that like I've been training and you know doing a lot of stuff. But other than some mitt work in the backyard with some friends, um, some we got some puzzle mats, you know, rolling on the where we can with who we can. It's been minimal. I I, I said this to a friend. I, I was like, I feel like coronavirus has just taken a year off every fighter's prime. You know what I mean? For the most part, it's like if you're 27 to 32, this one just like check the box. You know, if you thought you were fighting this year and you're not in the UFC, sorry. <laughs> Who'd have thought, you know what I mean? That the USC would be the only promotion doing shows. I would have never thought that. I would have thought like maybe a smaller shows would be doing them because there's not so much investment into the shows, right? It's not the big arenas and everything. Well, I, I agree and then I disagree. The, the problem with the smaller shows is they're a lot more beholden to the venues. Ultimately, like if we're if we're gonna be frank about it, like if the if the fight promotions could do it, they would, right? And they would just stream it and then do a pay per view style thing, especially the local ones, because they'll still make money off of it. But uh, when when you have all these sanctioning bodies and commissions and venues and everyone's telling you no, you can't just hold an event and, and hope that it, it'll run well. Uh, I think the only reason the UFC kind of got around it was because they had the infrastructure in place. So they were the only ones that really could. Because when you think about it, like, does the NFL have a stadium that they can run uh, a couple shows in? Not really. I mean, they have stadiums, but they're not going to do it without the live gate because they're on cable television. The UFC is kind of in this weird bubble where, you know, we, we have the pay-per-view model so we can make money not having the live gate. We'll lose money not having the live gate, but it's not the end of the world and as long as we do this properly and, and get the, the states in line, we should be able to do it without a hitch. And I, they, I, only, I only wish that, like, uh, more states would kind of follow suit. You know what I mean? But it is what it is. What can you do? Everyone wants to be better safe than sorry kind of thing. So I understand. They don't want blood on their hands. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a risk. I get it. I get it. And, and mm -hmm. I say all this, but like, let's say the fight in March would have happened. And let's just say some elderly man or someone with like a pre-existing condition did die. My, my outlook would be completely different. So mm -hmm. I'm saying this because we didn't fight, you know, so I'm, I'm just jaded. <laughs> yeah. I think everybody's jaded somewhat. Uh, now I want to, I want to start with, uh, you know, you're born in Albania. When did you first move stateside? We moved to the state side. So I was born in Albania, but we, okay, a little bit of background. Like, uh, so when I was born, the communist regime in Albania had just crumbled, right? And they didn't want a mass exodus of everyone out of the country because a lot of people were obviously not happy with communism. So what they did was they had this thing called an immigration lottery where they would just kind of draw a name and be like, hey, do you want to leave the country? You can do so legally. And fortunately, uh, I was born like six months or seven months and then we got the immigration lottery. So we didn't want to move to the U.S. straightforward because I was really small and they wanted to do it legally. So we actually moved to Greece and we lived there for like three years, four years until we got all our papers and green cards and everything. And then we came to the U.S. and we moved to Florida when I was like five years old. So I'm 27 now. So I've been in the States for 22 years. 
when you landed in Florida, do you remember that? No, I, I, it's, it's a shame because I don't, I, I, like my earliest memories are from Florida, but not even when we first came to Florida. That's what's crazy. Like I, you know, I was like really young, like five years old. We moved to Missouri when I was uh, like six. I remember all of Missouri. I've lived in Missouri ever since. I love St. Louis. Yeah, you know, some people, they have this crazy memory, you know what I mean? Like, they could remember all the way back to their early ages. Bits and pieces, but if you're asking me to, like, recall certain things, no way. You know what I mean? Like, there's, I remember parts of Greece and all that, but nothing too crazy. Um, right. Which is actually why uh, I, when I when I fought, uh, or when I started fighting, like, I wanted to kind of bring that, that heritage back. Because mm. I was like, well, you know, this is finally, like, a platform where I can kind of boast about it. And I, I'm proud of my roots, you know? So it, it was kind of like the perfect little, the stars aligned kind of thing. I was like, well, you know, I can't call myself the Albanian one in the office, but I can in the cage, so it's nice. Have you been back to Albania since then, or no, is that just something in the future? No, the, the problem is, uh, so... My girlfriend now, she's also Albanian. It's funny how that works. <laughs> you know, I never. It's funny because when I was growing up, my parents were always like, "You need a nice Albanian girl. You need a nice Albanian girl." And I was like, "Ah, we'll see what happens." You know what I mean? And then I don't know how it lined up. I met like the one dope Albanian girl. I was like, all right, I guess we're in. But uh, no, I haven't. She has, and she wants to take me. Here's the problem: the majority of my family has has left. So I have family in uh, Greece. I have family in Germany. I have family here in the U.S. Predominantly here in the U.S. So like when you go, like you usually go to visit people, right? But the problem is like there's no one really for me to visit. So she still has some family up there. So I think when we go, we'll probably visit them, and then we'll go see every. Because I, I do want to go. Like I want to go see like where I was born. I want to go see my town. I want to go see, like, where my parents lived. I think these are, like, you know, fair things that everyone wants to see once in their life. Um, so we'll make, we're will make we making plans on going. But, uh, no, man, 27 years, haven't been back since. Well, it will make it much more sweeter, man, when you do actually yeah. land over there and get to spread your wings a little bit more. It's It's not – it's also not that I didn't want to. It's just I've lived very, like uh, – what, what do you call it? Not routine, but like a very disciplined lifestyle. Like right after high school, I went to college. And while I was in college, it was like work, training, school. That's like really all my life was. And then after I graduated, it was, you know, full-time job, not just some part-time job, full-time job and training. And then it wasn't until I started dating her that like we actually do stuff. Like she, she'll she she'll make comments. She'll be like, have you ever been over here? Have you ever done this? I'm like, nah. And she's like, what do you do with your life? I was like, I fucking punch people and I do numbers. Like, what do you want from me? It's a very, it's a fine line. <laughs> this is what I'm good at, punching people and algorithms. You know, you're, you're kind of in a prime position with MMA, you know, and being from Albania to where, where you reach a certain level, you could always go back and kind of spread the sport, be an ambassador, you know, because I've talked to so many guys around the world that have, that were born in their, you know, their original country, but they moved to like stateside or to Australia. And that's what eventually that, that's what happens to them. They become kind of like an ambassador without even really wanting to be one. No, I, I, I agree. I, I think Connor was really the one who paved the way for, for Ireland, right? Like bringing it on the map, man. Here's the thing. Ever since I went pro and uh, started getting a little bit more notoriety, I think like with every win, I get a little bit more popular. I've noticed a lot more uh, Albanian fighters reaching out to me and, it's kind of like a doggy dog world uh, in fighting. Like outside of your immediate gym, 
you're kind of viewing everybody else as like potential anyone at 145, anyone at 135, or anyone at 125. I'm looking at like, okay, you know, will I ever have to fight you one day? It, it sounds bad, but I'm always thinking that. One of the nice things that happened was I've gotten like all of these Albanian fighters reaching out to me on Instagram, on Twitter and everything. And they're just kind of like super positive. Like, yeah, man, let's all do it. Like, hopefully someone breaks through, you know, all this other stuff. And I kind of like it. It was like refreshing to kind of have that camaraderie through like uh, the brothers in arm kind of thing. And uh, no, you're absolutely correct. I think when one of us, because I'm obviously not the only Albanian fighter, but when one of us breaks through, I think it'll it'll kind of pave the way for everybody else because i'll be honest with you like albania isn't really known for much right it's it's not really like an economic powerhouse it's not really known for its infrastructure or you know making a bunch of stuff but the people are very proud people uh they take their heritage very seriously and uh you know hey relax sorry i got some ads and dogs here um and if I can be that, it would be an immense honor. But don't get me wrong, it's also not the only reason I'm doing it, right? Like, I had another interview where they asked me, that, like, do you do this to, like, you know, represent your people? Like, no, 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 make no mistake about it. This is a selfish sport. I do this for, for me and wanting to be the best version of me possible. But if doing so, I can also make the country proud and, you know, put us on the map, then absolutely, that, that would be fantastic. You started MMA at the age of 19, kind of late for most most fighters you know in this generation tell me about the first couple of weeks of training with the professionals well so uh, to preface it i did i did wrestle in high school and i was supposed mm. to wrestle in college but i ended up choosing a university that didn't have a wrestling team so for all intents and purposes i thought i was done like all right you know that was fun it's over um and then when my mom passed uh my buddy was like hey man you should come over. I know you're kind of like upset about all this stuff. Maybe going to the gym will be good for you. And at the time, there was like a, a local amateur fighter. Uh, his name was like Kenny Kenny Ninehouse or something. He was getting ready for a fight, and he was fighting a wrestler guy. So they were like, "Oh, he's a 135er. You're a 135er. He's a wrestler. This is a perfect guy for you to train with, dude." I was beating his ass. And, like, just demoralizing the kid. You know, he couldn't do anything to me. I never had, like, any boxing experience or anything like that. But one of the coaches there, his name was Dave, took a real liking to me. And he's, like, an old-school boxing coach. So he kind of picked up on me, like, real quick. And then we just got to work. And, and I mean, dude, I was uh, – within, like, the first two, three weeks, they were asking me to, like, have you thought about fighting? Like, you want to do this? And then, you know, ever since, it's just been kind of full steam ahead. I was an undefeated amateur. And uh, as a professional, I'm four and one. My one loss by split decision. If you look at any of my fights, there's never been a moment where like I'm hurt in a bad position. Anything. I think, I think I've done okay for the past, you know, what eight years. It's been a it's been a solid career so far. But now we're getting to that next level of competition. So now it's it's starting to to. Not that I haven't fought hard opponents, but now it's like who's the guy that I got to beat to finally get recognized in the national scene? Mm. Because I've, I fought all the killers here in the area for the most part, it, at least in the Midwest, right? I'm sure there's guys that I can still fight throughout the nation. So I'm not going to say like, you know, I fought them all, but now it's, it's not so much of getting the wins and, and getting the fights. And it's who do I have to fight? Who do I have to put away to get to that next level? That's the only thing I'm worried about right now. Before your last fight last year, you took like almost 
two years off. You know, you're very you're inactive basically. And and yeah. what be what what kept you out of the the cage? Life, man. Uh, listen, while I love fighting, I also have to to face the truth and the fact that it's not a sport where you make a lot of money, especially when you're the you know local scene. So while it's all fun and it's a it's something that I truly am passionate about and I love. I got to take care of myself first. I, I, for those that don't know, like I, I have, uh, I went to school, I got a degree, I did all the things that I was supposed to do in terms of education. And then I, I, I'm, I'm a financial analyst now. So it's like, I had to get my professional life. I had to get my plan a set in order so that my plan B can, can kind of, uh, bear fruit. Right. I, I know a lot of fighters that don't take care of their finances. I know a lot of fighters that kind of like live in the gym and that, that grungy life. And I've just not been that kind of guy. I hate this mentality, and you hear Dana White say it a lot. They're like, all these guys are all in. All these guys are all in. That's such a fucking stupid thing to say. Of course we're all in. You're locking us in a cage where we're fucking fighting almost bare knuckle with one another, throwing shin to cheekbones and shit like that. So, you know, when people say, like, oh, you're not committed, that's fucking stupid. How many fighters do you know, just throwing it out there, had to quit fighting because they had to put bread on the table? How many fighters you know had a kid and they couldn't fight anymore because they could, they needed to now, you know, raise their kid. How many fighters do you know just had a shitty, you know, flip of a coin and maybe was in a car accident or something and, and fucked up a shoulder, fucked up a leg or something like that? If you ask me, if you're all in in anything in life, you're doing it wrong. I'm sorry. Like, it's not a sense of, like, pride or anything like that. You need to have something to fall back on. And for me, it's been my professional life. The only reason I can continue to fight and do the things I'm doing is because I had the day job. It's because I had the, the salary and the, the paycheck coming in. And it's made it easy to fight because I don't have to fight. I choose to fight. And I think that's I think that makes for a scary person, like a driven person. I don't need the paycheck. In fact, if they didn't pay me, I really wouldn't give a shit. But you know, if I'm going to do it, I might as well make some money. Yeah, definitely. Now, your your last fight, actually, it wasn't even your last fight. It was a fight that you were supposed to have in March. A couple of days before it, it got shut down because of the pandemic. Describe the days leading up to that cancellation. It was weird because, so two weeks before the fight was when the coronavirus like started hitting like the mainstream media, right? And I remember watching it, and I'm like heading into the sauna in the gym has like a TV in the basement right next to the sauna. And we're watching this and like a couple other fighters that are fighting on the car, we're all talking about it. Like, Hey, you know, like they're talking about pushing off like hockey and all those other things. Like what if they push off fights? And I remember I was like, man, they're not pushing out no fights. Like everyone, everyone needs their money. Everyone's going to keep doing this. Who knows where this goes, but we'll be fine. And, uh, lo and behold, like, uh, one week would pass. It's the week of the fight. And everyone's kind of like, Hey, is this fight still happening? Uh, you know, the NCAA is like canceling the season and, and all these other major sport leagues are kind of like, okay, no fans. And then ultimately no shows whatsoever. And I was like, yeah, no worries. No worries. Because the promoters were always like, also like, yeah, we're going to have the fights. It wasn't until the casino that we were going to fight at finally told them we're like, Hey, we're not, we're not going to be having any sort of live events, especially with like upwards of like 2000 people in, in a closed environment. That's just asking for trouble. So it was actually the day before weigh-ins, I remember, because I was like five or six pounds out, and I was doing like a hot water bath to just kind of get my body acclimated and used to it. Um, for those who have never cut weight, hot water baths, hit sitting in the sauna, it's not fun. So you don't want it to be like your first time the week of the fight. But 
Um, I remember I got out of the hot water bath and my buddy was like, hey, man, I'm so sorry. This is terrible news. I'm like, what are you talking about? The city of St. Louis and the, the state of Missouri just kind of shut down everything. Everything. Like you couldn't go to work. You couldn't do anything. I was like, are you kidding me? It was uh, incredibly frustrating, man. And shortly after that, you know, Jesse Finney, the owner of Shamrock FC, he called me. He's like, I'm so sorry. Like, we're going to try to reschedule. I know that you are talking. Because here's the thing that sucks about fighting unlike other sports. It's the weight cut, right? I can't, I can't, I hate this mentality of stay ready so you never got to get ready. Go fuck yourself if you think that. I have to cut 30 pounds. I walk around 165, 170. I fight at 135. I can't stay ready. That doesn't exist in my world. The only way that would exist is if I'm making enough money to quit my day job, and then even then, it's a it's a tall order. So, you know, for these guys right now in the UFC that are, like, taking fights on 12 days, 14 days notice, my hat is off to you. That is, that is a shitty lifestyle. That is not fun. So good for them. But for me personally, no way. You, you couldn't pay me enough to keep my weight down to 140, 145. It's not about discipline. It's not about any of that shit. You know what I mean? I, I I lift weights. I do strength and conditioning. I'm I'm a naturally big 135er. So, you know, maybe if I jumped up to 145, it'd be a little easier. But if I'm gonna fight 135, I I need at least a month's notice. Like, give me four weeks. I can I can cut 30 pounds in four weeks. I, I can do it properly. But that's the thing that sucks about fighting is like if our events get canceled, there's just so much more preparation for individual events. You know, if you're playing the NFL, you have 16 games in 17 weeks. If you're playing baseball, you have hundreds of games in a short amount of time. But if you're fighting, you have, what, two, three fights a year if you're active? So those two, three fights are super important. You do a lot of preparation, fight camps, all this other stuff. It was frustrating. I mean, the more I talk about it, the more I kind of remember how shitty I felt. And it's just like the more it's like kind of irritating me now. It must have been a mind twist, though. You know, is it happening? Is it not happening? You're watching the news. The news is saying different things. And and then, yeah, it's just the mind twist of just going through all of that. The problem wasn't even that. The problem was, like, the – you ever hear the term of, like, uh, pick something and stick to it? That hmm. was the thing that was irritating me was that I, I felt like everyone was kind of just making up something different every day. Like hmm. – Wear masks. Don't wear masks. Masks help. Hand sanitizer. Hand sanitizer doesn't do anything. You can get it through your eyes. You can get whatever. I felt like everything was changing every day. And at least here in Missouri, like, everything was kind of spaced out to where you would get new rules almost on a daily basis, right? It's like, okay, today the parks are open. Tomorrow the parks aren't open. Mm -hmm. Today you can uh, be with a group of 25. Tomorrow it's a group of 20. Like, what the fuck's the difference between five people? Like, I just felt like they were just creating guidelines to be like look at all this stuff we're doing meanwhile nothing's really getting done i mean let me ask you this how much hand sanitizer and face masks is going to stop like a virus if it's it's really going to kill people like the truth of the matter was that the pandemic wasn't what they thought it was going to be they overreacted which is fine you know it's better to overreact than underreact but then no one was willing to say hey Maybe we fucked up on this one. Maybe it's not that serious. Maybe we can just go back to business as usual. It didn't have to take three months. And, you know, I, I predict that when this second wave hits because everyone's out, like, you know, protesting or everyone's just like, hey, it's been three months. I got to feed my kids. They're going to work. Uh, you're going to see the second wave and people just won't give a shit because the untold truth is that unemployment kills more people than coronavirus. Well, they they rescheduled your fight for September 12th. You know, it's it's a few months out, but 
you know, they're being optimistic. When's the plan? When do you decide, okay, I'm going to go into a, a real training camp? Uh, are, you're, are you able to go back to the gym right now or do you still have to wait? Yeah, so the reason why we did September 12th was a little backstory. They wanted to do July, right? So like mm -hmm. uh, essentially like in two weeks from now. But I was the one who was like, are you guys sure that that's doable like from the state and everything? And I, I even told them, I was like, it's not that I don't want to fight in July. I can't back to my purposes with you is like if the gyms don't open up until june 15th and then or june 20th we forget what day was they were like saying i was like i'm gonna need a little bit more time i haven't been doing anything you know what i mean it's not like i'm i'm i've been training and hey if i've if i've been training and i'm walking around 150 155 and they need me to do a fight in two weeks notice for sure but i've been sitting on my ass for three months and yeah i mean i train a little bit here and there but any fighter will tell you that the training during a camp and then the training just for fun are two different kinds, two levels, two different levels of, of training. So uh, when it finally came for them to say like, okay, July is not happening because of the casinos aren't going to do it still. Uh, they're like, you want to do September? I was like, yeah, September's perfect. We got, you know, two and a half months. It's enough time to get ready. I'm hoping by then all this stuff will die down uh, for the most part and life will go back to normal. It gives everybody enough time to reschedule for their like plans and events because you know I have I have family coming in from like different parts of, of the country to come watch me fight, uh, so it just works out beautifully. And and we were even able to do like same opponent, same everything. So I'm pretty excited about that. We're just gonna run it back, you know, as if as if nothing ever happened. But uh, it's not much else to say about it, right? Because. Mm -hmm. We don't know. I mean, like I said, maybe I'm wrong and the second wave hits and everyone overreacts and everything shuts down again. So hopefully, hopefully not, you know. So when you do get in there and actually face off against Dylan Tolbert, do you see a, a, a hard three round fight from him or do you see another submission victory or are you looking to get your first knockout? No, I mean, I, I can beat him with whichever way I want. I, I felt like that about all the guys that I fought, though. Even the one that I lost to was like Dylan Tolbert. It doesn't really do anything better than any of the guys that I fought, right? Um, and I said this before, like, when you see people win in flashy ways, you also have to say, like, okay, well, who's your opponent? Like, yeah, he gets uh, that uh, standing guillotine against the cage against a jiu-jitsu purple belt or brown belt, whatever whatever uh, that guy was, and he didn't know how to defend a standing guillotine. So I said this in another interview. I was like, you can do all that shit you want. You know, if you want to do spinning shit, if you want to do cool, flashy stuff or awesome submissions, you're not fucking doing that to me. And and Dylan Tolbert, you know, he kind of lucked out with this coronavirus thing because I was hungry. I was in shape. I was ready to put on a show. And yeah, I mean, to your point, I have, what, two decision victories and two submission victories as a pro, right? So... Uh, I think it's time to get that KO or that TKO to show people that, yeah, I have the power with the hands. Like, I have it as an amateur, but now I need to do it as a pro. You know what I mean? Um, it took me a while to kind of get used to the five-minute rounds and the different pace that pros come with versus amateurs. So I think, like, I've just been – my last couple of fights were kind of just getting my feet wet, but now I'm really feeling like I'm in my stride by training so much better. I'm, I'm just – better with my timing, with my reactions, with, with my methodology, which I attack fighting. I'm older now, so I'm more mature. Um, I'm in a different place in my life, so I have more time in which I can devote to fighting and, and really immerse myself into it. And I just don't think Dylan Tolbert has, like, anything for me. Like, I'm not I'm not trying to talk shit and, like, saying, like, oh, I'm going to knock him out in the first round. But I, I truly, like, I, I envision this fight in my head, and I'm like, 
dude, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want, whenever the fuck I want. And you don't have the technique to stop me or the God-given physical attributes to stop me. I am your superior physically, mentally, technically. You're fucked. All right. Well, man, that was a good uh, good promo right there for September 12th. Shamrock FC 335, man. Thank you so much, Arion, for the time. It was a great chat. Uh, I learned a lot about you, and hopefully uh, I see you in the, see you more, and we do more in the future, man. I got to be honest with you. This was one of the uh, the better interviews I've ever had. Like, you actually, like, asked questions about the background and everything. So I do appreciate that. Like, uh, that was a little bit of research on your end, and, and thank you. 